Hello, you're listening to Freelance Mum, the mother of all juggling acts, with me, Faye Dicker. And me, Laura Rawlings. Hello and welcome back to the very first Freelance Mum podcast of a brand new academic year with myself, Laura. Hello. Hearty hello to Laura. Hello. And joined today by Sarah Townsend as well as our first guest for a brand new term. It's all exciting stuff. Well, I'm excited anyway. Um, and Sarah's here to talk to us about her book, but also about her freelancing journey, tips for freelancers. Um, I have the distinct advantage over Laura in that I have read the book, Survival skills for freelancers I promise to lend it to you when I next you at the Lido um, do my well-thumbed copy um, and it's a great read it's a really great read for people starting out on their freelancing journey Sarah first of all welcome um, thank, thank you today uh, you've yeah. been freelancing for was it 20 years now is that right my 21st year as a freelancer yeah and as a mum, <laughs> two things are connected. So they do, they happen simultaneously. Yes. You told it, I mean, the story, one of the things I loved about the book, and I want to throw in at this point, that at the weekend, I had a child for 24 hours. And in that 24 hours, I actually chose to read your book. Oh, so wow. I, oh, I would take that as a compliment, actually, that in 24 hours, child read, I read your book. And one of the things I loved about it was that I felt like it was just a friend a lovely friend chatting away to me, sharing some anecdotes. And I was thinking, if I could sum this book up in one word, what would it be? And I thought, lovely. Now, that <laughs> terribly practical, but I think sometimes there are so many, oh, sky, six figures this, do your business, oh, yeah, yeah. so many quick, you know, quick yeah, yeah. But this was just a, a, like having a buddy in your pocket, just really nicely saying, look, this is what happened to me. Here's some of my learnings. Um, so tell me, after 20, 21 years as freelancing, what was it that made you think, I'm going to put pen to paper. I do appreciate you're a copywriter. Ooh, I'm actually yeah. going to share these learnings now. Yeah, well, I think it was, I, I've had really throughout the latter part of my career I've had loads of people say to me oh haven't you ever thought about writing a book and and I was always no absolutely not like I spend day in day out writing that's what I do and that's what I get paid for so I had no intention of ever writing a book but I it was when my business um turned 20 towards the end of last year I thought right I'm gonna I'm gonna have to share some tips with people the things that I've learned and the mistakes I've made and the things that I wouldn't do again so that other people can avoid making the same mistakes as me and hopefully so that they can um, shortcut their journey to, to become successful and to, to kind of get to the stage that I've got to now. So I wrote this blog post similarly titled it also had the, the subtitle how to go solo without going loco which I loved there's a reason that was dropped and I can share that another time but um the response that I had to this blog post was just phenomenal as people were responding saying oh you know this is the most real thing I've read about the kind of messiness and the challenges of freelance life as well as all the goodness so um, I thought, yeah, well, maybe I'm onto something. And so many people said that they found just this short blog post helpful. I thought I've had a really good run in the past mm, 
five years maybe the first 10 to 12 years I would say I didn't do freelancing very well at all I was definitely floundering definitely winging it still winging it to a certain degree aren't we all and um yeah I just thought if I can make this into something that other people can learn from my experiences not make the same mistakes and become more successful and have uh and, and I'm not talking success in terms of the six figures you know what's a cash on a Ferrari type scenario, but I'm talking about balance. So you feel like you can balance your life as a parent and do the things you love as well and get paid for it. So for me, um, success is all about balance and achieving that. So yeah, that, that's, that's why I decided to, to do it. Before we come on and ask you about some of the, the advice that you might share, I'm just curious to know, because you sort of hinted at it, tell us about your decision to be a freelancer. Um, it was kind of a decision that was taken out of my hands to a certain degree, as I think it is for a lot of people. And I always think that everybody has a very different journey leading in to when they become freelance. It's not like anybody goes through um, childhood saying they want to be a freelancer when they grow up after all um, so I was working as an editor and an account manager for a magazine publishing company we used to publish customer magazines for big brands and I became pregnant with my daughter who's now 21 scary and um, I broached the idea of going free, uh, of um, working part time with my managing director. But because this was the late 90s, the idea of remote working, there was barely any internet back then. We literally had one computer in the whole of our studio um, in our agency that had the internet on. And yeah, just the idea of working remotely or working part time just wasn't supported at all at the time. I do think things have come on a lot since then, whether I would have made the same decision. I'd love to think so, because being freelance has been such an incredible experience for me, challenging, but so incredible as a mum. And I've always loved the fact that when my kids were really little, I never missed a school play, I never missed a sports day. That was kind of my, my driver behind it. I knew I didn't have it in me to be a full-time mum, and kudos to anybody who does. I I needed to have my career to focus on as well so that I would then achieve that kind of balance of feeling satisfied in my career, but also satisfied that I had more to to bring to my life as a mum. Um, yeah, so my managing editor actually suggested that I went freelance and said that they would support me at least initially with some kind of ongoing work. And yeah, that was kind of the kick I needed to make the decision. The interesting thing that I picked up on there, um, Sarah, is that you went freelance, That those two things were linked, you know, you had your children, oh, you went yeah. freelance. Um, yeah. And now your children are our young adults freelance um so obviously you don't have the school plays and the pickups in the same way but this is still very much a, a lifestyle that you have made work Absolutely. for and one of the things that I liked that you picked that you I think you said it in your book and if not we've had it you've said it on email correspondence was that you try not to work on a Friday 
Yeah. So you're, you're trying to make sure that you're making that freelance. It's the it's not the tail that wags the dog, I suppose. Making yeah. that around you. Um, way, yeah. yeah, is that a discipline that you've had to work hard at? Oh God, yeah. <laughs> I I literally decided um, towards the end of last year. I turned fifty, and I thought, right, I need to start kind of focusing more on my own well-being and um I kind of call them my well-being days now and it, it, if I'm honest sometimes I still get sucked into doing business related things I do a lot of kind of working on my business a lot of book promo things podcast interviews um twitter chats and that kind of thing quite often happen on Fridays but generally speaking, I don't do client work on those days. They're like a me day. Uh, and that's really important because I, yeah, I, I, the reason I wanted to focus on boundaries and balance so much in the book and the need to prioritize your own mental health and your own well-being as a freelancer is because those are things that I did really badly. I've struggled with mental health issues on and off blips throughout my life and um yeah I didn't want other people to kind of go through the overwhelm and the burnout that are so common when we feel like we've got to got to work all the hours to be a success yeah well it makes me think about one of the things that you address in the book which is about saying no isn't it yeah (laughs) yeah there's a whole chapter about that and rightly so, and it will chime with everyone who watches this, you know, are you saying no to the wrong job? Are you missing an opportunity? Should you have said yes? Mm-hmm. Could it have turned into something else? Will you ever be asked again? All of those kind of overwhelming questions that come in your head when you're trying mm-hmm. to strike a balance and, um, yeah, knowing when to say no. I wonder what advice you might share on being yeah. stronger at saying no. No, maybe because the job doesn't pay you enough, actually, and it's not an opportunity yeah. you're after, it's money. <laughs> Yes, yeah. And there are so many reasons why you might need to say no. And I'm a very strong believer in fit. Um, So kind of learning to say no and trusting your instinct, I believe are very closely linked. So there are um, there are times everybody's experienced this right there are times where you just get a nagging sensation that something isn't quite right and if you tune into that you think perhaps maybe as you say the client's not paying you enough which equates to the fact that they're not valuing who you are and what you do as an individual um I personally don't like to work as a supplier. I like to be a partner with my clients. Um, That's a kind of an ideal scenario to get to when you're on a level where you can actually advise them on what they need, which isn't always the same as what they think they need. But that's a bit of a tangent. So I guess learning to say no is kind of about putting yourself and your needs higher up the priority list then you know it's not all about what your client needs and um and you're there to kind of serve them with your service or or whatever it is you do it's really important that you listen to your gut and if something is telling you to steer clear of a job I would say definitely listen to your instinct because if you feel bad at the start of a project by the time you get to the end of it, you're going to feel so much worse. I just think that 
I don't know why this is, but it's sort of a universal truth. And I say this in the book that the clients who quibble over cost and they um, they're really demanding from the word go and they expect unreasonable things. It's like those always end up being the absolute worst clients to work for. Don't know why that is. Mm-hmm. You're, you're right though it's always the ones that are like oh is there any chance um we've got zero budget and it needs to be turned around even faster could yeah. you possibly and you sort of go why is it why am I not trusting my instincts why haven't I just said no and you're yeah. I think for me naturally part of it is being a people pleaser not wanting to let people down and okay. thinking yeah I can do that and then at the end you, know, you could reach the end of the process and you just think as a wearing my voiceover hat, I've now supplied you with several versions now of this badly written script, mm. um, which is never going to fit in 30 seconds because you'd overwritten it in the first, you know, and it, you, it comes back to it bites you on the bottom. It does, yeah. There needs to be that strength, like you say. Those who quibble right at the beginning are those that are the ones that bite you on the bottom. Mm. Yeah. So true. So true. I, one of the things I particularly liked in this book, and I wouldn't usually pick up on this in a book, is actually the way that it's laid out. You start it. With, <laughs> I really do. It's very, very reader friendly. And I think as, that's why I read it so quickly. Um, you start with Mythbusters. Um, so that's instead of having just chapters. So we've got Mythbusters, Myth 1. Um I like my own company. I don't need anyone else. Myth two, I have to do it all. Sales, marketing, admin accounts. So, and under each myth, you then break that down from myth, reality, and advice, mm. which is a really lovely way of getting into that. How did you pick your myths? Were these things that you came to mind to you instantly, or did you scour the market and suss out oh, no. what the top myths? No, I, I have to be honest, everything in the book is just, it has to come from an authentic start, standpoint of um, being my own experience. It's the only thing you can do as a writer, I think, is to write from the heart. Um, and I think that's the thing that you picked up on, Faye, when you read the book that you said it felt like um, you were having a chat with a friend. I think that's because it is just, it, it's me. It's the only way I know how to write for myself. Um, and people have really picked up on that and saying how personal it is and how friendly. Um, but yeah, I I have to say that most of the myths were the same in the blog post. I think I lost a couple and I think I switched a couple out because I realized that they didn't necessarily fit into the same format quite so comfortably. So I was adjusting things along the way. I didn't write the myths in any sort of logical order. So the myths, like one to eight, are not in the way I wrote them in the process. But um, they're just the things I think people have as misconceptions. They're certainly the things that I thought about freelance life when I first went freelance, which given it was over 20 years ago, there was obviously so much less information out there and so much less, I don't think there was any support, if I'm honest. I don't think there were any books specifically about freelancing. There were certainly no um, groups like you set up with Freelance Mum. There, uh, there were no Facebook groups, no Twitter chats, nothing. So 
I guess I just wanted to address the things that I think people commonly come to me and say, oh, how do you deal with this? And they tied in with the things that I very much felt when I was first starting out. How I've got, I've been noting down questions as we go, but my top two right now are number one, how have you got used to confidently telling someone what the fee is? So you can oh. do it without wriggling in your chair or having to say, <laughs> on that and then going and talking yeah. to your partner and saying, is that reasonable? Um, yeah. yeah. How have you, got, you know, 20 years on, how, how have you got comfy with saying this, this is what it costs? Yeah, it's, it's, that I think is one of the absolute hardest things because there's this nagging self-doubt voice in the back of your mind you don't want to overcharge because there's this kind of voice going oh you know who does she think she is like what why does she think that she's worth this much like um what makes her so special there's that kind of doubt but then you also don't want to undercharge because there's the risk that the client might think you know, you don't value, they might realise you don't value yourself. They might think, oh, well, she can't be that good, can she, if that's all she charges. So you're aiming for that sweet spot. And that's a really difficult thing to gauge. Um, I read something recently that said just pick a number. And I thought, well, that's interesting. That's quite, well, it is quite an interesting approach because if you kind of play with the number and you think, okay, I can confidently say this number, oh, genius. Unless I crawl under my chair and I unplug it, um, <laughs> I can do that if you'd like me to. No, you're fine. Carry on. Pick a number. I like that. Um, throw that on the floor. It doesn't make any difference. Yeah, I think. I'll call you back as soon as I can. Someone has a long message. You're going to get to listen to it. Genius. No, it'll just now. My answer phone will talk to me. And my landline rings once in a blue moon, literally. <laughs> okay, we're good. Um, yeah, so the with the I think a lot of it comes with the instinct. And I've always been a big um I'm a bit of a detractor from day rates, I'm not a fan of day rates at all, because the ultimately without context, a day rate is kind of meaningless. If somebody um if a client is doing some research online and they find three freelancers who do um, who provide the service that they're after and they email those three freelancers and say, what's your day rate? And each of them goes back with a different day rate. The chances of them going for the lowest or at least the, the middle one are pretty high. But you can't blame clients for for working in that way because they don't know any better so it can be helpful to go back with some ideas and some kind of justification for why that's not the way you work if you work charging a fee basis there are a lot of bonuses to the client for doing that because they know upfront what the cost is going to be to get the job completed whereas if you're saying oh well you know my rate is 400 pounds a day or 200 pounds a day or whatever it is you're you're saying okay you're hooking them in on a lower rate but they don't know how long you're going to take to do the work and ultimately the more expensive of the three freelancers might take one third of the amount of time to do twice as good a job so that's why I would say avoid using a day rate or an hourly rate if you can. Um, and yeah, I, I have said in the book, actually, Laura, that I think something that's worth doing is 
it sounds daft, but role playing those conversations with your partner or I've done it with my grown up kids in the past. I've said, you know, well, does this seem about right? Try to think about the value of the service that you're providing and the end result of the work that you're delivering um, and kind of take it from there. But there is a full chapter about charging in the book. Oh, yeah, it's interesting. Obviously, yeah. you've, you've written this book and it's been published and now we are in a COVID world where everything has changed and is now trying to move <laughs> into the new normal, whatever that might be. Yeah. Um, what this, I'm guessing this was written pre-COVID. Yeah, um, yeah, what advice have you got to freelancers now who are probably feeling more vulnerable than ever, really vying for their space, really mm. feeling a little bit nervous, um, you know, for keeping going? What advice have you got there? Um, yeah, it's a difficult one, isn't it? And I think there are also a lot of people who find themselves in this position for the first time. There are also people who are, are considering going freelance because they've perhaps been put on furlough and then they're realising that once the furlough scheme is being pulled, they're in a position where they don't have a job and maybe freelancing feels like their only option. Um, I would say, yeah, certain fields particularly do feel very or can feel very crowded, but I think it's important to kind of believe in abundance and remember that even if you're new to freelance life, you're not necessarily new to the skills and the the traits and the qualities that you offer. You might be really experienced, say you were um, a graphic designer, you might have been doing that as an employee for 10 years, you might be new to freelancing. So lean on other experienced freelancers who have had the experience and through things like this podcasting um uh, reading blogs reading books there's tons of information out there that you can use to um realize that actually you are okay you're doing all right you've got this and yeah, just don't don't keep keep the faith, as it were. Believe in yourself. Try if you're having a, a moment of kind of wobbling and thinking, oh God, you know, everybody else seems to be doing this better than I am. Stay off social media for a few days because it can can feel a bit toxic if you're having a wobble or you're. I think that comparisonitis is is just it's quite dangerous if you're having a low um a low few days or you're feeling like you're struggling um and just remember to celebrate the little wins so even if you have tiny achievements tick them off not just mentally but perhaps do one thing that I do with my partner I don't live with my partner but when he's here we always do our three good things and our three wins at the end of the day so I'll say oh you know I um won a new piece of business from a new client or I had a great zoom call with somebody who could um be a really great collaboration or whatever it is we posted something on Instagram and it and it got a really good engagement whatever it is remember to think about and acknowledge and celebrate those wins I think that's probably a lot of different information crammed into one answer but hopefully it, it covers off what you are hoping for 
Mm. Yeah, I think it does. And, you know, we do that too. I've been training my partner in uh, sharing our good things from the day. So, yeah, oh, there's lots to be, so much to be said for that. And I think I would just add, remembering that you are you, it sounds cheesy, but there isn't yeah. anyone else in lots of the services that we offer. Um, they're quite personalised, aren't they? You know, we are our oh, own. Definitely. And I think, you know, there's no one else who's you, Sarah, or you, Faye, you know. Mm. Um one question I, I wonder, I know you may have touched on this with what you do on a Friday, so perhaps there's something else you would add if that's your answer, but what's the best investment you've made in your business? Oh, the best investment. Oh, so much. I um... Fire the mass. That's okay. Yeah. I'm just thinking, you know, when, when it, when sometimes when it feels like you're not flourishing or thriving as you'd hope, actually to make an investment is a good move. So where could, where's good to stick your money? Where's worked for you? Yeah, well, I, I would definitely say invest in getting help. So the things that you um, you don't enjoy doing, you're not good at, and they're not they're not your oh I don't like this expression they're not your profitable activity you know they're not the thing that you went freelance to do more of because you love it and it drives you they're not the thing that makes you money so for example um it might be for you it might be admin kind of routine admin tasks hire a VA um it might be oh computer related things I'm completely Mac based but I I pay um, an IT support company a retainer it's a poxy amount of money each month it's something like 28 pound but for that I can phone them or email them anytime anything goes wrong with my computer and honestly the amount of headaches it saves it's worth every penny um and also for me hire an accountant oh how many of us just cringe with the amount of time we have to spend just filing your accounts especially if you're um limited company or that registered I and mean, not many freelancers are but just the amount of time and the amount of headache it used to stress me out so and there's no end just thinking Oh, you know, I've got, I've got the the date is looming. I need to file my self assessment or whatever. That that's so much worth the money because not only is it taking that task off your shoulders, freeing up not just the time but the headspace that you need to uh, to do it yourself, but also if you pay a good accountant, they should. Um, advise you on the things that you can perhaps offset as um, allowable expenses and things like this. And they, they, they should be invested in the success of your freelance business. So hopefully they'll give you tips and things that will actually easily pay for how much it costs to hire them in the first place. So yeah, I would say hire support for that kind of thing. Definitely invest in a decent website um, in terms of design and copy and tech your tech is really important so you you can't in, in most cases we can't do our jobs without our technology so it is worth investing a little bit more I know Mac stuff's ridiculously expensive but it does enable me to work really quickly and smoothly and seamlessly most of the time <laughs> so yeah I, those would be kind of my off the top of your head answers it's a great question laura i can barely <laughs> i'm not sure how i'd answer it myself actually how would you answer it laura 
Um, well, I'm just trying to think about it at the moment, thinking, right, what do I do with the little pot that I've got? Do I pay for some continuing professional development? You know, is there something that I really want to do to help with specialising? Um, do I put it into a graphic designer to help with the design of website or a logo or some mm. bit of the branding? Um, yeah, they're the two. And, and should I continue membership of professional organisations mm. that I'm currently a part of? So, mm. uh, yeah, I'm looking at it at the moment which I guess is why it's at the, at the front of my mind but it's, yeah. yeah it's always interesting to hear someone else's take on on how you um work out the value of, of what you spend your money on for sure Sarah thank you so much for taking the time to join us oh, today lovely hearing from you and freelance mum will be meeting again on Tuesday we'll be joining again for our network and one of our lovely freelance mums will be winning it's fantastic here today I feel <laughs> like left out is this a competition I might get someone to ring me. Um, <laughs> Hang on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, please do. Someone will be winning a copy of this lovely book, Survival Skills for Freelancers. Sarah, thank you for taking the time to join us today. Um, and thank I'm sure we will meet up face-to-face -face very yes, soon. Yes, please. Yeah. I'm not far from you, so yes, let's do that. Okay, take care then. See you all. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Freelance Mum. Don't forget you can stay up to date with all the latest advice, loads of friendly chats and support in our online group, The Mothership. To find out more information, check out freelancemum.k.uk. Subscribe, like and share from whichever platform you get your podcast from. And join us next week as we speak to another expert on an issue that's important to you. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.